0: welcome to this week's rashi Shear, brought to you from the bet midrash of mizrahi in melbourne australia good evening and welcome to the first rashi Share of the year of 5781 i hope everyone had a nice Tov, meaningful and joyous even under difficult conditions for us here in melbourne So welcome everyone who is following live, um, and welcome to everyone who's following on the podcast at any stage in the future. Um, I can see from the stats that there's quite a few people who listen on the podcast, so I want to say to everyone, first of all, please do rate and review, it helps other people to find it. And secondly, please drop me a line, james at kennard.com, to tell me why you like the podcast, or how it could be made even better, or any comments or questions, or just to introduce yourself, so it's nice that I can know whom I'm speaking to. So here we are in, we're continuing the story of the structure, destruction of Sodom and Lot is entertaining his guests and the townspeople have just tried to drag them out um, for not good purposes and the guests who are the angels struck the townspeople with blindness and now we come to Pasuk Bet, and Pasuk Bet says, The men said to Lot, Od, milacha po, which literally means more who do you have here, but we'll see how Rashi understands that, and then he goes on to give examples, chatan, sanilor, uvanecha, and your sons, uvanecha, and your daughters, Vachola hashelecha, and all that is to you, the ear in the city, Hotsei Minha ha-makom, bring them out or take out from the place. And then he goes on to say in Posit actually let's do that now. There's no Rashi on Ki Kimashkitim because we are destroyers of this place. Because their cry has become great before Hashem, Hashem And Hashem has sent us to destroy it. So Rashi has got a few things to say on Posit Tibet, And he gives one Pshat and then he's going to give another one. So the first says, Old me the simple meaning of the text so that tells us there's another one coming who do you have more in this city except for and apart from your wife and your daughters who are in the house and then they go on to delineate whom they might be referring to chatan your son-in-law, uvanecha, your sons and your daughters. And Rashi says on that, im yeshlecha chatan ubanim, if you have a, son, a son-in-law, ubanim ubanat, or sons and daughters, hodzei hamakom, bring them out from the place. And then he says, uvanecha, and your sons, he gives more specification what is meant by that, The banotecha hanusuat, the sons of your married daughters. Okay, so first of all, they, he understands odd as more of something, which is the simple pshad of Od. So you've got something here. Have you got more of that? And Rashi explains that the odd says, you've already got Ishtacha uvenotercha Shavabayit, your wife and your daughters in the house. So have you got more than that, more relatives? And that leads on to Chatan uvenach uvenotercha. Those are examples of more relatives that you might have. So that's the Peshat in odd, more of what we have already. Now, it seems to me that the dispute between the first Rashi and the second Rashi, which we're going to come to, hangs on the interpretation of Od and the interpretation of po, which Rashi is more explicit about. So Po means here. But Rashi explains it as odd beir hazot, more in this city. So he takes pole away from its most simple meaning to mean right here and says it's in the city. Now, why does he do that? Because he the angels can't be asking, whom else do you have here in the house? Because they know who's in the house. They know he's got two daughters and a wife. They've already been referred to. So they can't be saying, whom else do you have, Po, here in this house. Therefore, he has to, Rashi has to explain that Od, sorry, Po is Be'ir Hazot, which is not the simplest meaning of Po. It's perhaps the uh, next level of shut. It's not quite the simple mashma'ut the usual meaning of pop. so rashi spells out it's ir hazot because that makes sense that rashi, sorry the malachim are asking do you have more guests oh, sorry more family elsewhere in this city now the next thing that rashi has to say is on the words and he spells it out the im chatan o banim ubanot min hamakom. and the big thing that rashi does there is change the vav from chatan uvanecha to chatan o banim ubanat. He makes it clear that it's options. It doesn't mean, as you might think, a son-in-law and sons and daughters as a package, but it's a son-in-law or sons or daughters. And Rashi emphasizes that with adding the word o, which does not appear in the original text. And then he says, uvanecha b'nei banotecha hanesuat. When he says, your sons, it doesn't mean lots, actual sons, but it means the sons of the married daughters. Now, why does Rashi say that? So one explanation is simply that the Malachim knew that he had no sons, which is um, an important thing to say, but actually it raises, once you go in that direction, it raises another huge question. Why did the Malachim ask anything? Uh, If the Malachim knew with their angelic knowledge. They don't need to ask any question because they know exactly whom Lot has had in his family, because they're angels and they know everything. Or you could say they're acting, they're speaking, they're speaking like humans, which is whom they are uh, trying to look like, I suppose. And they know he doesn't have sons because it's already come up in conversation, um, but he might have sons-in-law with children of their own. But we can go a little bit further. The uh, Goarie says that if he was referring to sons of Lot, they would have been placed before the Chatan. Normally, you talk about your own children before your children-in-law. So if it had meant your own sons and daughters, it would have said, Natecha the Chatan. But because it said Chatan first, that implies B'necha doesn't refer to your own sons, but rather the sons of the Chatan that go with the the son-in-law, i.e. the sons of the daughters. You can also add just an interesting little point that Rashi doesn't give the option of sons and daughters of your sons, um, grandsons through your sons. Now you could say there's no basis to what I'm about to say because if the Malachim know that he's no sons, he knows that he's got no married sons and he knows he's got no children of married sons. Or you could say, this is rather sort of a cute idea, that it's a remes, it's an allusion to matrilineal descent. Now, this is a little bit anachronistic because Lot's not Jewish and the laws of who's Jewish don't apply to him. However, we know, and, and we learn from a Pasuk in Devarim and a gadatha there, which says more or less exactly the same thing. If your son, sorry, if your daughter has a son, that grandson is called your child. That's how the Gomorrah learns the Pasuk. But if your son has a son from a non-Jewish daughter, that grandson is not called your child. The only grandchildren, um, if your children are involved in mixed marriages, are from your married daughter, not from your married son. That's how the Pasik in Debar, I'm sorry, I forget the, I forget the uh, reference, is darshan in the Gemara. And there's a sort of allusion to that here, where the Malachim says, save the children of your married daughters, but they don't say, say, the children of your married sons, because by matrilineal descent, the children of your married sons, if they're married to people outside the family, are not considered your sons. Anyway, that's a little bit anachronistic and perhaps too much of an extrapolation. Um, okay, then Rashi says, um midrash Now we'll give the Midrashic explanation. Od, on the word odd, more, says Rashi, since they have done this outrage, that means the people of Saddam, who gathered around the house and demanded that Lot send out the guests, and we can know them. And Rashi said, that means that means rape them. So since they've done this terrible thing, the malachim say to Lot, what do you, do you have to you, pitron per? a literally an opening of the mouth, an excuse, Lunamed Sanagoria Alehem to speak defence of them. Shakol Halayla Hayamelitz Alehim Tovot because all that night he Lot was trying to defend them with good things. And then says Rashi karibe mi Milachah Pe. We can read in the word Pei not how it's vocalized Pole, but we can imagine it's vocalized Pe, meaning mouth. Milachah Pe do you have a mouth do you have a mouth to defend them so according to the second explanation the words odd and the words pair are completely transformed from the first explanation so the simple one is in the first explanation the word po meant po which means here in the second explanation we are doing a real clearly not pshat uh, Hazal type exegesis where they change the vowels altikra this <laughs> ela this altikra po ela pair Read it as pair, which is clearly not what it's well, not what it says. But you can read it as if it said pair. But that also um, gives a huge, whole new meaning to the word odd, because according to the first explanation, odd was more of the people. Do you have more people in the city in addition to those you have in the house? Here, odd means do you have more defence? The implication being, no, it's a rhetorical question. Surely you can't have any more defense of the people after they have done such a terrible thing. And by the way, what is the terrible thing? This fits with Rashi's comment on um, when the men said, v'nedah al in Pasuk Hay, because that is a sin of zunut, the way Rashi's explained it, a sin of sexual immorality, which takes their crime to a whole new level. Um, and we know from various places like the Dor HaMabol, uh, or their final uh, decree was, was decreed because of the violence, as Rashi said, but the Zunut, uh, the sexual immorality, is a theme that runs through the story of the Dor Hamabul, the generation of the flood. And we see in many other places that when the B'nai Israel engaged in Zanut, that's when their decree was sealed, that's when they crossed a line. So that might be referring to what Rashi says here, that they've done this Navala, they've done this disgusting thing. The people of Saddam were pretty disgusting already, but now they've crossed a line. So the malachim say to um, Lot, um, now they've done this type of outrageous thing, surely you have no ability to defend them anymore. When they were just inhospitable to guests, that was a different matter. But now they've said, meaning we want to rape your guests. That was a navala for which there is no defense. Um, it's also worth pointing out that Rashi himself said on, uh, I'm gonna have to look back on Pasuk Dhalad, sorry, Pasuk Dalad, um that Sorry, when, when, lot, when Rashi said that Lot... Ah, oh yes, here we are in Pasuk Dalad, Rashi said that the angel What is the uh, character and what are the deeds of the townspeople? And he said to them, most of them are wicked. Um, and now the same Lot is saying, is spending all night defending them. As Rashi says, the same Lot that Rashi said, had said that the townspeople, Rubam Rashayim in Pasuk Dalud, most of them are wicked. Now we read, Shekala halam tovot. The whole night he was trying to defend them. Now, does that mean, is this contradictory between this Rashi in Yudbet and that Rashi in Dalud? In Dalud, Lot was saying most of them are wicked. And in Yudbet, he's trying to defend them. And not necessarily so. It could be that these are contradictory Midrashim that Rashi brings, but you don't have to say that. Because it could be that Lot himself is echoing the debate that Avraham had with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Avraham said, if there are just a few who are Sadikim, that should save the entire cities. As we said, it's, it's, a, there was a sort of shift. Avraham at one point was saying, just save the Sadiqim, But certainly part of Avraham's agenda was saying, the Sadiqim can save the entire city. And we can suggest that Lot is saying something similar according to Rashi. Because Lot, who's already accepted Rubam Rasha'im, the majority are wicked. Not many of them are saddikim. Now here he's trying to defend them. So he's trying to say, like Avram said, that just because a few of them are saddikim, that's a reason to save the people. But it's also the case that now you could say, if that were his defense, that defense has gone. Not just because they've committed a navala, an outrageous act, um, um with hints or uh, more hints of Zanut, But we also know that who was involved um, in this outrage? Who was it who came to the uh, house of Lot and demanded that they give out the guests? It was everyone, because the Pasuk said um, they came Mikatse in Pasuk Dalat, Mikatse to which Rashi said on Mikatze, Kol ha'am Mikatze, Mikatze katze, She'ein echad mehem mocha biyodam. Rashi explained there in Pasuk Dalet, it didn't mean literally everybody, but it meant that nobody objected. And therefore, echad Everyone was directly or indirectly involved. And Pasuk um, uh, Yud Aleph said, everyone was there, mi v'ad from the youngest to the oldest. So again, maybe not everyone was there, as we said in Pasuk Talud, but everyone was involved. So it could also be that Lot had to retreat from his position that Rashi put into his mouth in Pasuk Dalot. So that Lot now has to accept, it's no longer Ruban Rashaim, but everyone's a Rasha. Because I feel a Bahem. There's not even one Sadiq amongst them because nobody protested. So that would explain why the Malachim said to Lot at this time, Now that you've, they've done this, how can you defend them? So either Lot was still sticking to his principle, that there are some who are not wicked, um, but they've crossed the line in terms of the nature of their sin. Or you could say that Lot had to realize it was no longer the case that only majority were wicked, but in fact everyone was wicked, and therefore the Malachim said to him there's no defense anymore. So why does Rashi bring two pshatim? So the first one has problems. The problem is particularly with the word Po, because Po normally means right here, right now, and Rashi has to explain it meaning ha'ir hazot. it means this city, which is not the simplest meaning of Po. Um, and that perhaps leads him to the second explanation. There's also a big sort of um, understanding qu- problem with Rashi's first explanation, which is why other malachim asking questions at all. Surely the malachim know the answer. Surely the malachim know exactly the list of lots family members. So you could answer that by saying they're speaking and Adam. they're trying to speak like people, but that's a little bit hard um, if malachim are malachim, and clearly they are, they're not hiding as men, they've just given a plague of blindness to the people around the house, so clearly they're acting like malachim, so it's a bit difficult to say the malachim then need to ask questions about who is in Lot's family, and those questions are answered in the second explanation. In the second explanation, the malachim are not asking for information on the contrary, The second explanation um, is also problematic because clearly it reads Po in a very midrashic way by actually making it into a completely different word, the word Peh. Okay, there is no Rashi on Yud Gimel, as we said, so that takes us to Yud Dalad. (inaudible) Vayetzei Lot vayadaber el-chatanav. Lot went and he spoke to his sons-in-law, Lotche (inaudible) v'notav, the takers, literally, of his daughters. And he said, "Kumu, get up! So umin ha hazer, go out from this place. Ki mashchit Hashem et because Hashem is destroying the city. and it was as if he was laughing or joking in the eyes of his sons-in-law. Just by the way, nothing to do with Rashi. There's a few odd, interesting references to tzachok in this parsha, because um, Lot's sons-in-law." Uh, think he's joking with them. A Little bit later on, Avraham's going to have a son called Yitzchak, and that's because of the laughter that Sarah displayed when she heard that Yitzchak was going to be born, also because of the laughter, which was a different type of laughter, which Avraham displayed when he heard that Yitzchak was going to be born in the previous parasha, and we also are going to find, I'll tell you now, but maybe you know, that um, Yishmael is Mitzachek with Yitzchak, Ishmael is also playing, laughing, joking with Yitzhak, although it doesn't seem to be a very nice joke, as Rashi would explain. So um, this is not Rashi at all, but it's interesting that there are a few very different, but nevertheless, there's a thread running through this parasha of references to sachok, to laughter. Now, what does Rashi say? Rashi says, <laughs> Who were these sons-in-law? two married daughters he had, Lot had, in the city. Why does it say two? Well, it's not clear because there's no no real evidence that it has to be two. You could say um, that the Torah is always specific and the smallest multiple number there can be is two. So if it says Chotnav, without giving a larger number than two, we can assume it's two. Or you can say, we know that there were two unmarried daughters in the house, because Lot's already referred to them when he offered them out to the townspeople in that horrific uh, proposal that he made. And maybe two in the house, there's a symmetry with two outside the house and Rashi says, Then he says on the words, lahem." So means literally the takers of his daughters. Says Rashi, those in the house were engaged or betrothed to them. So the big thing that, Rosh, that Rashi is doing is he is responding to the apparent duplication. The Pasuk says, Khatanav Now it might be natural to read that as referring to one group of people, but describing them in two different ways. They are sons in law. They are the sons-in-law who've taken the daughters, i.e. married the daughters. But that would be redundant duplication. There is no need to say chatonav also means L-K-E-B-N-Tav. We know what Khatanav means. It means sons-in-law. So Rashi says this is not redundant duplication, but rather it's referring to two different groups. And that's really what Rashi is saying. He's saying Khatanav is one group, and they're married to the two daughters, and they're in the city, and is a different group of people. That's why the Torah mentions both of them, and Rashi spells out for But those two in the house that we've already heard about were engaged to these other two. There is a text of Rashi, the Rome edition, if you want to know, that actually includes a drasha, and it says, it's written and not Now, actually, this is a little bit hard because there's no vav um, in the word. It's spelled (coughs) The Cholam tells you it's as if there was a vav between the Lamed and the Kuf, reading But the midrash that Rashi, according to this version, by the way, which isn't in the mainstream Rashi, I don't know if you've got it in your text, quotes, uh, is medayek, that it's loke, those who were in the process of taking daughters, as opposed to lokukhe, those who had already taken daughters. So the fact that it's in the present tense is another proof that it's arusa, it's, it's the ones who are engaged, betrothed to the daughters. They haven't taken them yet. Now, we can point out um, that, according to the Gemara, as codified in the Rambam, there was no such thing as Arusim before Matan Torah. The, uh, we all know that the Jewish wedding ceremony consists of two parts, Arusim and Nisuin. Before a man actually marries a woman and takes her into his house um, and has relations with her, he must betroth her. That's Arusim. Um, and that's very much part of the nature of the kedusha of the, of the marriage ceremony. But before he just takes her, he designates her as his wife-to-be. That's Arusim. And by the way, once she is betrothed in that way, she's forbidden to all other men. That did not exist before Martin Torah. The Rambam in the beginning of Hilchot Kiddush makes that point. So what are we talking about here? Lokhe which Rashi says, arusot shahotan shababayat arusot b'hem. So it seems to be that even though there wasn't a formal process of arusin, there was some type of connection, if you like, between the women and their, maybe we could say, fiancés. Um, there was some connection, which would enable Lot to include them as part of his family. Now, it's interesting that the, the um, Malachim said, who else do you have here? Your sons-in-law and your sons and your daughters. Rashi, so the Malachim, did not suggest explicitly that you should go and get your daughter's fiancés. But nevertheless, Lot did, as Rashi explains clearly in Yud Dalet. He went to the Chatanav, and he also went to Lot Chei Bonotav. So did he have permission to do so? Yes, he did. Because the Malachim in Yud Bet also said, Mi l'chapol, Chatan, uvanecha, uvanecha, v'chol asher Lacha <laughs> Peir and all that you have in the city. Now, what did they mean by all that you have in the city? Did they mean, for instance, his money? Well, we'll see the answer to that later. And the answer is no, they did not mean money. And therefore, all they can mean is further relatives, which makes the Rashi's explanation of Yudalad fit beautifully, that Lot went to his Khatanav exactly as the Malachim had told them. He also went to Lot Qayvanotav, which the Menachem had also given him permission to do if we understand that the words for in Yudbet means any other relatives you may have. Benji, you have a comment. Just a small thing. Um, similar, I just noticed now, but the Paso of Satsvayet said lot, like lot went out. And if it was just talking about in his own family, like the thought that we know about, then where is he going out to? So obviously he must be going out to, to find somewhere to, to find some other people. Yeah, yeah, well, except... He went out, we, Rashi says about the Khatanav that he went to, um, they were be'ir, they were in the city. So okay. that would, perhaps Rashi says be'ir because, davka because he went out, but he certainly went out beyond his immediate family home. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. We move on to Pasuk Tet Vav. Yeah, I think that's where we're up to. Yeah. So just to conclude, but let's go back to Yodallah. the sons-in-law, and presumably the uh, fiances did not come with him because they were, he was as if they were joking in the eyes of his sons-in-law. They weren't interested, they weren't impressed. So Pasvov:Umo hashaha Allah." And as the dawn arose, hamalachim. I'll go straight to Rashi. Rashi says, Katargamo and they pressed him, or they pressed. Miharuru, which Rashi then explains means they hurried him. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here, as you know I occasionally do, and I'm going to say this is a straightforward Rashi. The word "Vyaitsu" is unfamiliar. I don't know how often it occurs in the Tanakh or the Chumash, but I think it's very rare. And Rashi needs to help us understand what it means. So he refers us to the Targum, which says, dechiku, they pressed, and Rashi says, pressed in the sense of maharuhu, they hurried. So basically, the Yitzhu comes to mean they hurried. Hamalachim balot, they hurried, the malachim hurried lot, like saying, come, get up. Kach et ishtacha ve'et notecha. take your wife and your two daughters, hanim tsa'ot, who are found. Pen ba'avon ha'ir. Lest you be, I'll leave that word untranslated, in the sin of the city. So we've seen that Rashi says on uh, what it means. And then the word so Rashi here says something very interesting. It says who are ready for you in the house to save them. there is a midrash, But this, what I've said to you, is the satisfaction of the text. So as we know, and as much, much, much can be said by much greater people than than me, um, the interplay of Midrash and and Pshat in Rashi is a fascinating topic, and Rashi clearly often brings a Midrash, but he says it's "It's to satisfy the text. uh, traditionally work on the principle that Rashi himself outlined in Peret Gimel Pasuchet of Bereshit, that there are many midrashim, but he only brings them if they satisfy the text. And every time Rashi brings a Pashat and a midrash, we talk about the interrelation between the two. Occasionally, he does something a little bit more teasing, if you like. He says, there is a midrash, but I'm not going to tell you what it says because the Peshat is good enough. So the obvious question is, why does he even mention there's a midrash if he's not going to tell us what it says? And the answer might be, but the pshat is clearly deficient, but the midrash is also unsatisfactory. So why is the pshat deficient? Why does he need to say that there's a midrash at all? And the problem is the word nimtzot. So it says here, the two your two daughters who are found. And Rashi says, "When they mean found, hamuzamot they're ready." They're there in the house to be saved. It's not a big deal to save them because they're there. So the four people in the house, Lot, his wife, and his two daughters, they can all be saved right now because they're there. The problem with that is, well, what does it add? The Pasuk says that take your wives and daughters. We know the wives and daughters were in the house. He offered to bring out the daughters outside the house. There was no question that the daughters are in the house. And it's pretty obvious that if they're in the house, they're easy to save. So nimtzot doesn't add anything to our understanding of a situation. other you know, words, we, we could have written it ourselves. We could have written the Rashi, silam, if the Torah hadn't said the word nimtzot, We would have known that the daughters are in the house and ready to be saved. So that's why, perhaps, that Rashi feels the need to say, there is a Midrash. If you, the reader, are bothered by this pshat not being satisfactory, I can tell you there is a midrash. What midrash is there? So the midrash he's referring to is the one that says that these daughters are going to produce two great uh, descendants themselves. One called Rut, who comes from Moab, which is the daughter of the, sorry, which is the son of the older daughter, as we will find out later. And the other one, less well known, is Nama, who comes from Ammon. She's an Ammoni. She marries Shlomo HaMelech, uh, along with many others. Sorry, Shlomo marries many others. But Anama is the mother of Rehoboam, who is the father of the whole Davidic dynasty, uh, ultimately leading through all the kings of uh, Yehudah, because Rehoboam is left with the king of Yehuda when it splits, up to the uh, Mashiach. So uh, the Midrash says there are two daughters, Ot, and uh, the Midrash understands the word as will be found, who will come from these two daughters. There are two daughters of Lot, Will need to be saved because they are going to produce Ruth, who is the great grandmother of David Amelach, and Nama, who is the daughter in law of David Amelach. But between the two of them, they are the antecedents of the whole Davidic dynasty. And they are Nimsaot. they are going to be found. Uh, and that also explains um, why, nicely, why the Melachim say, Take your two daughters, because these two daughters or maybe they're referring directly in this midrash to rut and namah, not to daughter one and daughter two. Um, however, says Rashi, Rashi doesn't actually tell you what the midrash says. He, uh, perhaps it's not quite the right word, but I'm going to use it again. He teases us by saying there is a midrash. And he needs to say there is a midrash because of a deficiency in the pshat, as I said, because of the redundancy of Ot, even with Rashi's explanation thereof, which we could have worked out for ourselves. So he says there is a Midrash, but he doesn't quote it because it's very, very far from the Peshat. It's very far from the Peshat to say that the Malachim was saying to Lot, worrying now about Rut and Nama, who are millennia in the future, or centuries in the future. That is very, very far from the Peshat. So there we have a situation where Rashi feels there's a need to mention there is a Midrash, but it's not a Midrash that actually is going to help by actually being brought in Rashi's text. Now, we can move on to the next Rashi, on the word pen lest you be caught up. Sorry, no, lest you be. What does tisafer mean? Says Rashi, kaleh, that you will be destroyed. And then he brings ad tom kol a posikim devarim, which refers to the destruction of all the generation, maturagram ad the saf koldara, and there the targum translates tum kolhador, the destruction of all generation, as the saf koldara. So we see that tum equals saf in Aramaic, which relates to tisafair in Hebrew, and therefore it means destruction. Now, the word tisafir has appeared before; it appeared when Abraham started uh, arguing with Hashem, and Abraham said, um, I haven't got the exact passage here, so I'm not going to waste time looking for it, but Abraham used the word um, being referring to, will the 50 sardikim be destroyed along with the city? And Rashi there said, Gornish, Rashi said nothing at all. Rashi did not need to explain the word tisafir." Why does Rashi need to explain the word tisafir now when he didn't explain it earlier? Well, there's a lot that is said on that. Uh, A lot of answers are given. But I would like to offer the following, um, which I didn't see explicitly anywhere, but I saw saw alluded to. So I'm probably not um, being with this myself. But, um, and I I do need to find that, Pasuk, when it when, when. Yes, it was in Pasek Yudhet Yudchet Yudhet Yudchet Kavkimo. Yegosh Avraham v'yoma ha'av tisper tzadik im Rasha. Will you tisper? Will you destroy? Now, how do I know it means destroy? Because Rashi didn't say that. But you know who did? Unkelos. Unkelos did say. He said there in uh, Yudchet Kavkimo, he translated tisper as teshitzeh, which Rashi is Aramaic for destroy. In this case... In our passage here, in Yutetetvav, Onkelos uses a different translation. When the angels say to Lot, Pentisafter ba'avon ha'ir, Onkelos says, dilma tilkei karata. Maybe you will be telake, smitten. Maybe you'll be struck. You'll be hurt by this in the sin of the city. Now. I would suggest that the reason Rashi here translates pair is because Unculus deviates from what Rashi understands to be the correct translation. Rashi didn't need to say anything in Perut Yudget Posit because you could rely on the Unculus to tell you what Rashi thought it meant. But here, Unculus tells you something different. So Rashi has to tell you it means kal- kaler, meaning destruction, not being smitten. Now, we can also say, um, this isn't a sheer in Unculus, although there's always so much to be said about the words that Unculus chooses. Why does Unculus change it? So it sounds like Unculus believes that Lot is not, if he stayed in the city, he would not be destroyed. He would be smitten, i.e., hurt, but not destroyed. And perhaps because Unculus sees that the city deserves destruction, but Lot does not. Lot, either because of his own merit, we'll talk about this later, or because of the merit of Avraham, who is davening for him, and Hashem agrees to save Lot because of Avraham, and we'll talk about exactly what that means. Uh, it's going to come soon, and it'll come again later in Pasuk Kavteth as well. Um, but maybe the Malad, sorry, Onclus believes that Lot now is guaranteed not to be destroyed. Rashi doesn't think that, and Rashi's got a good reason for thinking that, as we will see later. Rashi thinks by deliberately saying that Tisafet means kaleh means destruction, that Lot is being told by the Malachim, you stay in the city, unlike Umkelos, who says you'll be hurt, the Malachim, to Rashi are saying you will be destroyed. And I think Rashi's got a good basis for saying that, as we will see later. There's one more thing to say on this Rashi, that it looks like Rashi is saying that the Aramaic Saf, samachpei is the same as our word here, which comes from the root samach pei hey. The problem with that is if you look in the megillat Esther, peruk tet Peruk-Tet-Posuk-Kaf-Gimel, you will find that Rashi has a discuss- discussion on this word, and he says explicitly that samach pei hey, is a different root from Samach-Pei, or Samach-Vav-Pei, if you want a three, that's a root. So there is discussion. I, I must confess, I haven't got to the bottom of this. Is what exactly is Rashi saying here? When he says, Tisafair, look at the person in Devarim Perabet, Ad Tom, where Rashi, sorry, Uncleus translates Tom as Saf, which obviously is Rashi's bringing because of the word here is Tisafair. So Rashi says the Aramaic, the Uncleus, Saf, is the translation of Tom, which means destruction. So Tisafair means destruction. But we also know that Rashi in Esther says that Safer, samach peh is not the same as samach peh. So either um, Rashi is saying that basically it's got the same meaning; it's a similar word. But if you really want to be mediac, if you want to be uh, specific in your grammatical analysis, you have to acknowledge that it's not the same root, but it's still a similar idea. Or there's more to it, which uh, is beyond my understanding at this moment. So now let's go on to Tet uh, Zion. and anyone who is a Balcora will be excited by this word because it has a Shel shellet. There are only, I think, five Shel in the Hamas, and they always express some sort of mental um, trouble uh, with somebody not sure if they want to do something or not. Or that's a way we can explain them. So va'yit mama is means he tarried, he delayed. ha'anashim, and the men took hold Biyodo with his hand, Ishto, and the hand of his wife, Manatav, and the hands of his two daughters, Hashem alav. When Hashem had mercy on him, and they took him out and they placed him outside the city. So, what does Rashi say? Uh, first of all, on the words, and he tarried, he delayed, says Rashi, in order to save his money. Now, how does Rashi know that? Why doesn't it mean in order to save another person? And the answer is, because if it was to save another person, the Malachim wouldn't have dragged him away. The Malachim, I have, we saw, as we saw, said, you can save in Yudbet. Well, they didn't say explicitly, but they asked who was there. And all who are with you, implying that anybody else in your family, please do save. So why were they stopping him? Why, why was he now delaying? And the angels wouldn't let him stop. We can also back this up by what the angels say in Yud Zion which is, Save yourself. So Rashi reads, save yourself, perhaps, as saying that what he delayed for and the angels didn't let him stop for in Tet, uh, Zion was not himself and was not another person whom they'd invited him to save. So all that's left is money. So if the Malachim are saying, save yourself, and the Malachim are saying, save anybody else, and yet he's stopping for a reason that Malachim don't approve of, all that's left is money. It also fits with the picture that Rashi paints over and over again of Lot being not a very good person, not a very bad person necessarily, but not a very good person. And we know that Lot broke with Abraham after the argument between the shepherds, which Rashi described as basically about money, as about the right of the shepherds to graze their flocks in other people's fields. And we know that when Abraham did say to Lot, you better separate from me, Lot chose to go to Sodom um, of all places, which was rich and did not like sharing its money. So from lots of little pieces, Rashi builds this picture of Lot being obsessed by money. Um, we can also add though Rashi doesn't say this, that when Lot goes to Mitzrayim, that he comes out of Mitzrayim wishing he was still there. And that's why he chooses Saddam, which is Kagan Hashem Ke Eretz Mitzrayim, as the passage there said in Peret Yud- Um, And there are other things. naham Alevich talks about the fact that when uh, Abraham journeyed to Eretz Yisrael, it was, so you can read the pasukim carefully, it was Avraham, then Sarah, then Lot, then the Rahush, then the property. When they came back from Mitzrayim, it was Abraham then Sarah, then the Rahush, then Lot. The Rahush, the property, is now separated Lot from Abraham and Sarah. That is not Rashi, but maybe Rashi sees that as well as Necham that sees it. And Rashi here says that Lot is interested in saving his money. And that would fit then that the Malachim take him by the hand and say, no, that's not a good reason to stop. But what they do say is, the men took him by the hand. Now, Rashi says on the word of one of them was the emissary to save him, the Chavairoh, La Hathor, Saddam. And the other was the one to up- invert, i.e., destroy Saddam. We already know, because Rashi made a big point of this at the beginning of Peret Yudchet, that there seems to be a work to rule system amongst the Malachim one Malach, one job that each malach can only do one job. And Rashi is telling us here that the two malachim who came to Saddam, one was to save Lot and the other was to destroy the city. And then he says, And therefore it says, and Rashi's referring to the next pasuk in Yud Zion, he said, singular, save yourself. And it doesn't say, they said. So Rashi's pointing out that in Yudzayin, we have a singular, Vayomer, he said, because only one of the malachim was interested in saving Lot. Only one of the malachim had that task. The other malach had a different task, namely to destroy Saddam. And that's why the other malach doesn't join in the conversation with Lot, saying, save yourself. But here we have two malachim, Vayakhaziku Ha'anashim. They took hold of, the, of, that, uh, of, of Lot by his hand. The question then is asked, why does Rashi make this point here? Because we can see from Rashi himself that the Diuk, the analysis, is actually based on Pasuk Yud Zion, where it says Vayomer. What really Rashi is saying is in Yud Zion, one Malach speaks, as opposed to up till now, the Malachim have always been acting as a pair in unison, as, for instance, they do in Tet Zion, where we read Vayakhaziku. So it would have made more sense for Rashi to make his point on VaYomer in Yud Zion and not on VaYachiziku in Tet Zayin. If that one can go further, Rashi doesn't explicitly refer to Yachaziku at all. So on a simple level, we can say that Yachiziku tells us that there were two Malachim, plural, um, and we need to know there were two Malachim in order to understand the contrast to what comes next, where it's only one Malach speaking in the next pasuk. The problem with that is Rashi could have made that point on any of the plural verbs used in relation to the malachim throughout this chapter. Because throughout this chapter, we've read about the malachim, they did this plural, they did that plural. And if Rashi's only concern with yachaziku is that they did something in the plural, Rashi could have made that comment anywhere earlier on. We can also ask another question, is if they had two functions one was to save Lot and the other was to destroy the city, why did they both take hold of Lot? Surely taking hold of Lot is a function of the Lot saving Malach and not of the Saddam destroying Malach. The answer is no. If you look in Pasuk Kaf Bet, um, when uh, the Malach, one Malach says to uh, Lot, maher himalate shama, Hurry up and save yourself there. We'll see where there is later. <speaking in Hebrew> because I am not able to do anything until you have got there. So who is the one talking? So Rashi makes the point that the one talking in Kaf Bet, in the singular, is the destructor. Is the de- Destructor is not a word. The destroyer, the one who's there for destruction because it's not the one who is saving Lot, because Lot's already been saved by that point. So it's the destroyer, the other malach, and Rashi says this, is saying, I can't do anything until you have got out the city into safety. With which we learn that Hashem has arranged that the city can't be destroyed until Lot's safety is guaranteed. That's Hashem's blessing to Abraham, as we will see. So we see that both Malachim had an interest in taking Lot out of the city. The one to save Lot obviously wants to take Lot out of the city, but also the one to destroy Saddam wants to take Lot out of the city because the, he, the destroyer, can't do any destruction until Lot is out of the city. He says this explicitly himself. So now we can understand Pasuk um, Yud Tetzain and we can understand Rashi's comment on it. When it says, it was both Malachim, because they both needed to get Lot out of the city. One to save Lot, the other for the trigger, to be, the trigger to be fired, for the destruction of the city to start. And now we can understand Rashi perfectly. Rashi, on the word, says, you know what? There were two Malachim with their dual functions, one was there to save Lot. That's why he took hold of him. The other was there to destroy the city, and that's why he took hold of him as well. So we've now answered both questions. Why does Rashi make this point on Yachaziku? Because that's where it's staring in the face. Because you needed two malachim to take hold of him, because two malachim each had their own need to do so. And that's why Rashi, at this point, now says that the two malachim both did the same action, but for their different agendas, if you like. The, uh, that's what Rashi says from Yachiku, and that's it. Now we come into Yud Zion. Okay, in impossible Yud Zion we read, and it was when they uh, they took them outside and he said, save your soul, alta bit achareha do not look behind you, alta and do not stand in the whole plain, to the mountain Himalit, um, we'll leave Rashi to explain that, lest you get destroyed, as we've understood that, our word to me. So there's quite a lot to say on this. I'm also looking at the clock. It's 9.21, so we might not do the whole thing today. So the first thing is, anaf anavshecha, Says Rashi, It's enough that you save the souls. Don't have pity on the money. So this Rashi is fitting with the previous Rashi. And as I tried to show, they're all sort of a, uh, interconnected. Um, Rashi said on the Yitmameah that uh, Lot delayed. And Rashi said there he delayed to save his money. By the way, um, if you look at this word, Mitmameah, or, or here it's Mitmama, um, it, it seems to imply where it's used a delaying for not a constructive purpose, a, an unnecessary delaying or carrying or being tardy, which has a negative connotation, which also fits with Rashi's explanation that he's uh, delaying to save something that's not worth saying, um, not worth saving. And now Rashi makes the same point uh, on Himolayt al-Navshercha. So I think Rashi's is doing two things. Number one, he's linking with the Rashi on Mayit Yitmama to say that, that in that case, he was saving his money. But also he say, he's explaining al-Navshercha because al-Navshercha is apparently redundant. Save, who are you going to save except yourself? Um, obviously, you're saving yourself. So Rashi says al-Navshercha doesn't just mean save yourself. It means save yourself to the exclusion of something else which is not part of yourself, which is not included in Naf It can't be his wife and daughters because they are being saved. So it must be something else which is external to him, i.e. your money. And Himalot HaRusha has more of a connotation, which Rashi spells out, it's enough to save souls, plural, which means you and your family. Al Don't literally have mercy on the money we're having mercy on you, deceiving is an act of mercy. Do not extend that to money. Okay, I think we'll do the next, no, we'll do the next two, and then we'll leave the next one until next time. So, do not look behind you. Why should you not look behind you? So Rashi's got to explain what is the problem of looking behind. You were wicked with them. You were wicked with and you are saved in the merit of Abraham. It's not fitting for you to see their destruction, and you will be saved. So I'd like to say this is a relatively simple Rashi. Um, Rashi is explaining why we have this strange prohibition on looking backwards. What is it inappropriate to look backwards? And the answer is... Because there is a distinction, which is perhaps almost sort of unfair between you lot and them, because you were wicked with them. And here Rashi says explicitly that Lot deserved to die, which, which fits in with other things that Rashi has been saying. But you deserve to die. And you were only saved, not through your merit, but through Abraham's merit. And therefore, since you yourself had no deserving merit, you should have been with them. And that's why um, uh, you shouldn't look back and see their destruction. And by the way, this is one of the things that I was looking to. There's others as well about why Rashi disagreed with Unkelos in Pasik Tet Vav. On the words, Pentis of Feba, Avon where Unkelos said, lest you be hurt by the, the sin of the city implying that Lot was not going to be destroyed, that Lot had some different judgment against him, um, even if he'd stayed in the city. But the Rashi here is saying, no, no, you you deserve to be destroyed. And sorry, this isn't, sorry, I've gone a little bit long. Uh, It's the geography issue, which we'll come to later that Rashi seems to find other clues to say that if Lot had stayed physically in the city, he would have been destroyed like the rest of the people. That's how Rashi understood Tisafir in Tet uh, uh, Vav. Okay, so now Rashi's explained why Lot should not look behind him. Um, and sorry, we're on Yudzaim. And Rashi now has to explain b'chola kikar, kikar ha which is, refers to the plain of the Jordan. How does Rashi know that Kikar means the plain of the Jordan? And the answer is because back in Yud-bet, sorry, uh, yud vav Perak Yud-dalad-pasuk-vav. Rashi had a little treatise there about how the word meshor, meaning plain, is not translated in different places, um, as just different translations, but different plains had different names. So Elon um, Moray is the plain of Moray. Um, and uh, if you look there, and uh, no, it wasn't Elon More, it was a different one, but different plains had different names. And Rashi there said that the Yardin The plane of the Yaradain is called Kikar. The word Kikar is unique to the plane of the Yaradain. So Rashi references that same idea here. So now we know that when you see the word Kikar, it means Kikar Yaradain, because that's the only plane that is called Kikar. Okay, as I say, um, uh, Rashi's next comment, (laughs) Haha Rahim is going to take us more time than the two and a half minutes we have left in our schedule right now. So we're going to pause now and we will meet again soon. Um, next Sunday night is Konidre. That's not a good idea to have a shear on Zoom. Um, and the following week is Motzi Yom Tov of Sukkot, and the week after that is Motzi Simchat Torah. And I don't know when the clocks go back, which would make it hard for us to meet on those nights, but I will let people know uh, if it's going to be appropriate to have a Shia in two weeks' time, or three weeks' time, or not. But we will meet again, and we will continue in Pasuk uh, Yud Zion. And whenever that is, I will look forward to learning Rashi again with you. I wish everyone a Gama chatimat Tovah. May we all have a good sealing. And may Hashem give us the uh, Yeshua that we are in desperately need of. Thank you very much. Amen. Amen. Gemach chatimat Tovah, Rabbi. Gemach chatimat Tovah for you and your family. Quality, for- amen.